Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. All right, if I could have your attention over here, please. Thank you so much. Hey, I want to welcome you to Renew Church. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, How is it after Thanksgiving? How do you guys feel this morning? Awesome. Awesome, great. It's always great to be able to, and I love cold weather, so cold weather's starting to kind of come in, so I'm really excited about uh, just, yeah, the Christmas atmosphere and getting ready for Christmas and all that. Well, you know, uh, after Thanksgiving, I was uh, given the opportunity to preach on whatever I wanted, and so uh, one of my favorite stories in all the Gospels, it's kind of semi-obscure because it's not found in all the Gospels. Uh, It's not found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, but it's a story that really highlights the idea of faith. And so if you want, if you have your uh, devices or your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 15, would you? Matthew chapter 15. And the subject of my message this morning is faith. You know, we've said this before as Christians, faith is essential for our lives. Faith is really the air that we breathe spiritually. It is necessary for our regeneration when we became a Christian, and it continues to be necessary in our sanctification as we grow to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of my life verses is that passage in Hebrews 11.6, if we could put that up. And it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, let's look at that passage for a moment. I want you to see two things in Hebrews chapter eleven six. Number one, faith is confident about who God is. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And then number two, faith is confident about what he can do, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God can reward you with his presence. God can reward you with his power in your life. God can reward you with answered prayer. And God can reward you with a transformational existence. God will reward those who diligently seek him in faith, the Bible says. Well, today's text in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, illustrates this truth perfectly. Because in this story, this woman had faith. As a matter of fact, this woman was a mom. This mom had great faith. She was confident about what Jesus, who Jesus is, and she was confident about what Jesus can do. As a matter of fact, this person is one out of two people in the entire Bible 
who Jesus exclaimed had great faith. Now the Greek word is where we, um, the Greek word for this is where we get the term mega, that this person had mega faith. Let's look, Matthew chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 21. This is God's word. Uh, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. For even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have mega faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that moment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Jesus was absolutely pleased by this mom's faith. Now, why did he say that she had mega faith? Because as we read in Hebrews 11:6. She was confident about who Jesus is, that he who comes to him must believe that he is. And she was confident about what Jesus can do. So she diligently seeks out his reward. I think you're going to be encouraged by the earnestness of this woman and by her faith. And that's what I want you to get this morning. As you leave here, I want you to endeavor to have the faith that this woman had. So let's unpack this story. In verse 21, it said, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, let's give you a bit of background so you understand this. Uh, Jesus had been ministering in, nor in the northern region of Israel called Galilee, uh, near the Sea of Galilee. And he is leaving Galilee to move further north to the famous Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is a Phoenician region in what would today be southern Lebanon. And so I want you to note this. Jesus takes his disciples 50 miles from Galilee into Gentile territory along the coast. Now you might ask, well, why would he do this? Well, if you remember in previous studies in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had finished an intense season of ministry in Galilee. And remember, the crowds were growing and growing. And with that, the pressure was building and building. And there was pressure from the masses who wanted help and healing. There was pressure from those who wanted to use Jesus for their political agendas. Uh, the Bible says that uh, they wanted to take him by force to be their king. There was pressure from religious leaders who saw him as a threat and wanted to trap him so that they could discredit and destroy him. And all the while, the crowds followed him so closely that the Bible says that he couldn't rest or even eat. So all this pressure then drove him to seek a time of solitude, separation, and seclusion from the crowds. That Jesus needed a time to rest, to relax, and refresh with his disciples. And so he chose a Gentile region of Phoenicia, outside of the jurisdiction of the religious leaders, outside of the attention of the multitudes who knew him, a place where he could be anonymous. Mark 7, 24 says that he entered a house and did not want to be found. 
And so what Jesus was essentially doing was he booked a private retreat, an Airbnb in Phoenicia, so that no one could bother him and he could be alone with his disciples. But someone was about to crash his retreat. And to understand this account fully and how shocking this actually would have been to Jesus and his disciples, and actually to a Jewish person reading this gospel account, I want you to do a favor. We've done this a hundred times. It's an exercise, but I want you to do it again. Put your hand on top of your head. Would you do that? Okay. And I want you to take off your Dodger baseball cap. Would you take it off, please? Okay. If you're wearing an Angels cap, that's okay. Giants caps you can't wear here, all right? But you can wear any other baseball cap. And I want you to put your 21st century baseball cap aside. And then I want you now to put your uh, hand back on your head. And what you're doing is you're putting on the first century Hebrew sudra, what they would wear in the first century. And so what you're doing is you're taking off the 21st century understanding of the reading because we all come with our culture and our thinking and our proclivities when it comes to our 21st century understanding. We want to take that off and we want to put on the first century understanding what the first century Hebrew people would have understood in reading the Gospel of Matthew. Okay? And this will help us understand what exactly was happening. So let's do that. In verse 22, it says, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. So this woman barges into Jesus' space. Why is this so shocking? I want you to, first of all, notice who this was. The Bible says this was a woman. In the first century Hebrew world, women were unimportant. Unimportant. There was a famous prayer that was prayed by men, especially the rabbis. And this is what they would say. Blessed are you, O God, who did not make me, among other things, a woman. Whew, I'm so glad I'm not a woman, right? That's what they were saying. Why? Because women were unimportant in the culture of that time. Women's rights were limited to their homes. Women were segregated even in the synagogue and in the temple. Socially, rabbis did not talk to women in public. Rabbis wouldn't even talk to their wives or daughters in public for fear they would lose their status or reputation. And so this woman comes into a rabbi's uh, retreat and she barges in, okay? First of all, this was a woman. But this wasn't just any woman. This was a Canaanite woman, all right? So Canaanites were the original occupiers of the promised land. And God told the Israelites to conquer this land as divine judgment for the Canaanite sin. In the Jewish mind, the Canaanites were a cursed people. If there was ever anyone outside of God's covenant, it was them. But not only was this a woman and a Canaanite woman, this was a Phoenician woman. In the Old Testament, if you understand Old Testament history, the most infamous queen of Israel was a woman by the name of Jezebel. And Jezebel was from Phoenician royalty. She wasn't an Israelite. She was Phoenician uh, Gentile from Tyre and Sidon. And she was instrumental in popularizing the worship of Baal, that false god. And she brought idol worship uh, of Baal and Asherah uh, to prominence in Israel, which became a snare to the Israelites for hundreds of years. Jezebel was the symbol of idolatry. She was a Phoenician woman. So to the Jew, this woman who barged into Jesus' Airbnb right? Had everything going against her. She was a woman. She was a Gentile woman. She was a Canaanite woman. She was a Phoenician woman. To the Jewish mindset, this would have been the lowest of the low. Now, I want you to notice what she said in verse 22. She came to him crying out 
Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. So this woman barges into Jesus' space and she begins to shout and scream for Jesus to help, help her. The word, was, uh, the word that we see is continuous, relentless, passionate cries for help. And I want you to notice what she says. She calls him Lord. That means master. She's acknowledging the authority of Jesus in her life. Now, this is incredible when you think she's not a Jew. She's not even a God-fearer, which is a Gentile who converts to Judaism. No, she's not even a God-fearer. She's a straight-up pagan person. But here she's turning to Jesus as master, as Lord. And she also calls him the son of David. This was a title for Messiah, that he would sit on David's throne and usher in everlasting rule. That God would give him all the kingdoms of the world to reign eternally. Now, this was a Gentile woman that gives the title of divine ruler, fulfilling all the Jewish prophets. Again, she's a pagan Gentile. Yet this woman is acknowledging Jesus' identity, his destiny, and his mandate over her life. She is turning to Jesus as Messiah King. And I want you to notice why she said it. Verse 22. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This woman barges into Jesus' space, and this woman continually uh, cries out for Jesus to help her uh, because she is in great need. Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. The Bible doesn't tell us the details, but from what we see of other gospel accounts of other demonized individuals who suffer, we know that it can be terrible and horrific. So can you imagine... The pain of this mother seeing her little girl suffer unspeakable manifestations at the hands of these evil spirits. The woman is desperate. And the reason she calls his, him master and Messiah is because she's confident about who Jesus is. She has faith. She knows who Jesus is because the desperation has opened her eyes. Hey, desperation will open your eyes to Jesus, won't it? You see, when things are sunny and prosperous and plentiful, it can blind our eyes to deceive us into thinking that we don't need a thing, that we are masters of our destiny, that we are captains of our ship. But when the storms come and the trials and disasters strike us, they awaken us to the realization that we need help. Desperation forces us to look up. Can I get an amen? I've said this before, okay? The psalmist in Psalm 127 says, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. We look up because when we look around us, there's no one else that can save us. And I'm sure the woman looked everywhere around her in this uh, region of Phoenicia for salvation. She looked to her idols, to her gods, to her magicians and sorcerers, to other doctors but as she looked around no one could help her and so she was forced now to look up she realized that Jesus was the only one who could save you know in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 it says but without faith it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is we've just seen how this woman was confident about who Jesus is and the verse goes on, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now let's look at how this woman was confident about what Jesus can do. And this, this is the key to her faith, was how diligently she seeks. 
I want you to see a number of obstacles that potentially had the ability to disrail her faith. But mega faith overcomes obstacles. If you don't get anything, get that. Mega faith overcomes obstacles. Let's look at these obstacles. Number one, the obstacle of silence. The obstacle of silence. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer her a word. Now imagine this. The Canaanite woman is in Jesus' presence. He sees her. She sees him. But his response is total silence. Now why is that? Is it because Jesus is just being mean and cruel? Well, we've studied scripture. From scripture, we see that Jesus is the kindest. He goes out of his way to help people. He goes out of his way to treat people's needs. Well, then is Jesus just being prejudiced? Does he just not like Gentiles? Well, we see from scripture that even the Gentiles that come to receive healing are healed by Jesus. As a matter of fact, in scripture, uh, there is a, a scene where a large number from Tyre and Sidon, from that very place, come to Jesus and Jesus heals every one of those people. So it's not because Jesus is being mean. It's not because Jesus is being prejudiced. You know what Jesus is doing? I want you to get this. Jesus is testing her. He is drawing out of her what is on the inside. Jesus wants to bring outside what is inside of her. And you know, Jesus loves doing this. We see it all throughout the Gospels. Imagine this woman barges in to receive help. She cries out again and again. And imagine how deflating, how disillusioning, how discouraging, how disturbing, how disconcerting this silence must have been for this woman. But I want you to notice her response. Her response is persistence. Let's look in verse 23. Can you put that up? Thank you. Verse 23. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. The Bible says that Jesus' disciples are irritated and annoyed because even in the silence, she continues to relentlessly cry out the same thing, the same refrain, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And they want Jesus just to send her away. You know, sometimes we encounter the silence of God, don't we? Have you ever prayed and God was totally silent? You pled for direction. You asked for help. You cried out for healing. You begged for an answer. But it seems like all your prayers fell on deaf ears. I know how that feels firsthand. It's deflating. It's discouraging. It's disillusioning. But remember, just because God is silent doesn't mean he isn't listening. Let me say that again. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he isn't listening. I want you to notice that even though the disciples plead with Jesus to send her away, Jesus never sends her away. He's just silent. You know what that tells us? Silence doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Do you know that the purpose of silence is persistence? That Jesus encourages to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. That God's silence is not to get you to quit. It's actually to develop perseverance so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in the silence, dig deeper. In the silence, cry greater. In the silence, pray longer and grow deeper in your relationship with God. Can I get an amen? amen. 
You see, the purpose of silence is not to push you away. The purpose of silence is to build up the faith that you claim that you have. You know, during Thanksgiving, you guys all shared your stories. I wanted to share mine. During Thanksgiving, I was sharing this story. Um, it's actually not a story that I'm proud of. It's actually a silly story. It's kind of humiliating. Uh, some of you heard, heard it before, but uh, I was sharing this as a story of thankfulness uh, for me. There was a time uh, in my life where I was clinically depressed. <clears throat> I remember I had to come out of ministry for a while, and my wife remembers this. Um, because of my depression, I couldn't sleep. And so I would roam around in my one-bedroom uh, apartment, and I was so depressed that I couldn't pray. I, I just... It, it, it just felt nauseous to me to pray, felt nauseous for me to read my Bible. I know this sounds terrible, but that's kind of how I was. So I would just roam around my uh, bedroom, uh, just feeling sorry for myself, and I couldn't sleep. Um, I remember one time I was up, and it was 2 a.m., and I started hearing a meow. Meow! Meow! Right? And it was uh, outside of my house, and man, it was... You know, this, this, uh, it was a kitten, okay? And this kitten was disturbing my depression, all right? As I was roaming around, I heard meow. And I, you know, I, I couldn't shake that. And so, of course, you know, I'm a compassionate man, right? And so I went and I, got, I, I figured it, uh, it was hungry. And so I got some tuna. It was a black kitten. And it was just outside and it just kept meowing. And I remember opening the tuna can and putting it out there. And the next morning, I realized it was hungry because it had eaten all the tuna out of the tuna can. And I remember that night as it was, you know, uh, meowing, I would give, I gave it the tuna and then it got quiet for a while, right? And then it actually went away. But during that time, I remember the Holy Spirit really spoke to my heart and the Holy Spirit kept telling me, you know what? If you can't pray, if you can't talk to me, then just meow. Just sit on your couch and meow. And you know what I did? And this is the humiliating part. That's what I did. I just sat on my couch and meow. Lord, meow, you know, that, and, and I did that for like an hour, and that's all I could do, but the Holy Spirit was teaching me something, you know, God was teaching me, if you can't pray to me, then just abide with me, if you can't do anything, and you're depressed, then just spend time with me, and if all you can get out is a sound, and by the way, I don't like cats, I'm a dog person, I shared that with you before, right? So it was a black kitten, and you know, even though I don't like cats, I don't want to hear this thing meow. I want to give it something, right? And how much more my heavenly Father, you know, loves me and wants to hear. But He was saying, you know what? Just, just stay with me. Just abide with me in the silence. I remember telling uh, my mom this. You know, God really matured me at that time. It's such a silly, humiliating story, but it's something that I come to share because it really does speak to people's hearts. That in the silence, God wants us to grow deeper in our relationship with him. Faith is persistent in seeking after Jesus. Let's look at the second obstacle, the obstacle of difficulty. Let's look in verse 24. And Jesus answered, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why does he say this? As I studied this passage, every commentary and Bible teaching explained the theological aspect of what Jesus was conveying. That Jesus was explaining the priority of Israel and how he was focused on fulfilling the promises and prophecies concerning Messiah so that after his death and resurrection, he would begin his mission to the whole world. And all of that is true, right? 
But as much as it is true, that is not what Jesus is communicating to her. As a matter of fact, a theological lesson would not have been understood by this woman at all. Why does he say this? Well, I believe it's more basic than that. Again, Jesus is testing her. He is drawing out of her what is on the inside. He wants to bring outside what is inside of her. Jesus does this to many who call him Lord. And he says, if you want to commit to me as master and Messiah, then what will you do with the difficult things that I tell you? Do you remember the fabulously rich young ruler who saw Jesus as master and Messiah and wanted to follow him? And what did Jesus say to him? Go and sell everything that you have, rich young ruler, everything that you own, and come follow me. Wow, that's difficult. I re do you remember the crowds who followed Jesus after the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000? And they definitely saw Jesus as master and Messiah. And Jesus says to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. What? What does that mean? And do you remember the young man that said, I will follow you anywhere you go. Everywhere you go, I'll go with you. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. I'm homeless and you will live a vagabond life if you follow me. What happened when the difficult saying was given? They all forsook him and fled. The fabulously rich young ruler forsook him and left. The crowds, uh, even the disciples, uh, when they heard uh, after the feeding what he said, they all forsook him and left. The young man who said, I'll follow you anywhere, when he heard that, forsook him and left. You see, Jesus saw the inside spill out to the outside based on the difficult thing that he said. Now, what was inside of this woman? I want you to notice her response. It is worship. It's worship. Verse 25, can you put that up? The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. The little translation uses the word worship. This woman acted upon what she knew about Jesus. This woman acted upon what she said about Jesus. And so she worshiped him as Messiah and master. After Jesus speaks these difficult things to her, she could have easily interpreted uh, this as rejection. She could have given in to her insecurities about race and status and rights, about her past deeds. And so she could have left altogether, but instead she bows the knee to Jesus. She surrenders to his sovereignty. Instead of leaving him, she leans into him. And that's what happens many times when Jesus brings difficult things to our lives. We either leave him or we lean into him. And this woman worships by leaning in and sincerely praying three words, Lord, help me. Faith is passionate in worshiping Jesus, even in the difficult things of life. Let's look at the third obstacle, the obstacle of pride, okay? Verse 26, and Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Oh my word, what do we do with that, you know? What did you say, Jesus? What did you mean by that? And to, to, to our world especially, this sounds completely offensive. What is Jesus saying in the passage? Well, you know, there's an automatic desire that everyone has as Christians to defend Jesus because this sounds so offensive, doesn't it? It sounds so cringy to our sensibilities. And so I've looked at many commentaries and many teachings uh, that defend what Jesus said. They'll say things like, well, this is a maxim. 
It's an ancient saying that was used by the people of that time. It was not meant to defend or to offend. Or this word actually means puppy in the diminutive. It's meant to be cute, all you puppies, and don't worry about it, you know? And so puppies are cute, and we shouldn't take offense to it. Or this is first century banter. It's intended to be tongue-in-cheek. Jesus was saying it with a smile. And so all these explanations are meant to minimize the offensiveness that Jesus had and to defend Jesus. But when you do that, listen to me, you miss the whole point of the passage. Because the fact is, Jesus is intentionally making an offensive statement to her. He is purposely provoking the Canaanite woman. Now, why in the world would he do that? Well, again, Jesus is testing her. He is drawing out of her what is on the inside. He wants to bring outside what is inside of her. You see, the Jews proudly claim themselves children, children of Abraham, children that were chosen by God. And so on one hand, they're children, but then the Jews would scornfully call the Gentiles dogs. On the other hand, that they weren't the chosen, that they were outside of God. And Jesus says this, I've been sent to the house of Israel. That is my priority as Messiah. So it isn't right to take what is for them and to give it to those who are not a part of that house. They're not God's chosen pe people. They aren't heirs to the blessings promised. They don't have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their fathers. They haven't been entrusted God's word and his commandments. They have no rights to God. It is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Now, are you ready to hear what comes out of her heart? This is beautiful. Verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord. For even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Do you know what comes out of this woman? She says, if you call me a dog, Lord, then that is who I am. Because I don't have a godly legacy. I'm a Canaanite. I don't have a godly history. I'm a Phoenician. I'm not entitled to your blessings. I'm a Gentile. I'm an alien and a foreigner to your promises. I have no rights to you at all. I'm just grateful to receive the crumbs of grace that fall from your table. Yes, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs, and I will gladly receive them from you. You know what her response was? Would you put it up, please? Her response was gratefulness. Listen. Now listen to me. Jesus says it again and again in this gospel. My kingdom is an offense to your pride. That is why the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the self-righteous, the religious establishment, that's why they all hated him, because he is an offense to their pride. And Jesus says that my kingdom is an offense to your pride, so if you come proud, then you're going to be offended by me. You won't receive my gospel. You won't receive my kingdom. And that is why in the Beatitudes, in the same uh, gospel, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you're blessed when you come to me poor in spirit, realizing your brokenness. You're blessed when you approach me in mourning because of your great sinfulness. You are blessed when you enter meekly in humility because you don't deserve to be here. You're blessed when you hunger and thirst after my righteousness that you don't have. You're blessed when you ask for mercy because I will give it to you. You see, that's the posture of faith. It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. I don't deserve to be here. 
I'm fallen. I'm broken. I come from a, sin, a sinful past. As a matter of fact, I'm a sinner. And I don't deserve anything from you because I don't deserve anything. Or I don't deserve any. Yeah, I don't demand anything from you. Excuse me. Because I don't deserve anything from you, Jesus. I'm grateful for the crumbs. Jesus, I gladly receive the crumbs. You see, faith is humble in its gratitude to Jesus. And this is the only way you can please God, with an attitude of profound gratitude. And let's look in verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Can I get an amen? amen. What a beautiful story of faith. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? I don't know if the praise team has to come up. Um, but I can't pass up this opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the silence and the solitude of our hearts. You know, this season of your life, are you committed to live by faith? Are you ready to expect great things from God, to have mega faith? Do you believe who God is and what he can do? Then are you courageous enough to allow Jesus as the master and Messiah, to engineer what he wants to in your life. Father, we ask that even in the silence of our hearts, that we would be men and women of mega faith, that we would truly desire what you desire. We thank you and praise you, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection, helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.